what an incredible time of worship and just honoring the Father and seeking His face. So would you join me in prayer, please? Abba, thank you for your goodness and graciousness to us. You have given us a story that we're to share with those around us, a story of your sacrifice, King Jesus, on the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection. I pray that you would give us daily opportunities to share your grace, to extend your grace to a broken and sinful world. Pray today, Father, uh, you have promised that your word would not return to you void, and so we're asking for your spirit today to invade this place. Continue to pray for this congregation. Pray for Pastor Chris, uh, for healing, uh, for restoration, and Father... uh, Thank you for his heart of celebration and for your love. We love you, and we offer this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Election day coming up. Uh, Social media influences. Pesky neighbors. uh, Media in society. How are we to relate to a broken and lost world around us. Uh, I think we see a picture of that in the text that we're going to be looking at today and questions that each one of us have to ask, whether you're in the workplace, whether you're retired, whether you're in school right now, be it uh, elementary, middle school, high school, college, or beyond, questions about our position our interaction in society. And I think God's word is very, very clear about how we are to engage society. So I want to take you to uh, the text in Matthew chapter 5, looking specifically at verses 13 through 16, the way of culture for the believer. This section of teaching by our Lord is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. In verses 1 through 13, Jesus outlines what brings real blessing or happiness. As you've looked at that, I'm sure before, we've got to take note of what? That it runs contrary to what our current society, current postmodern society says will make you happy, will make you content. And you could speak about this uh, even more directly than I could. Society says what? Happiness is found in perfect health. Happiness is found in a bank account that never seems to be depleted. (laughs) We know that's not true. Happiness seems to reside in everybody liking you. You get the immediate promotion. You get the prom date. uh, Dating the star quarterback, you're making straight A's, and on a four-point scale, you're making a 5.2. That's what society... (laughs) You guys are like, yeah, right. That's what society says will make you happy and content. God's word says just the opposite. So as we find this text today, as we look at this section of the Sermon on the Mount, that begins to deal with contextual issues. Then Jesus goes into what? A great, into great deal t- detail about what his mission is, as well as a right interpretation of the law. And what does he do, as he always did, was what? Shakes up the religious culture and what was the bare minimum 
of what society, the religious community said included righteousness. Jesus said several times in the text, uh, look at, down at verse 21 in chapter 5, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who has anger, who is angry with a brother or sister, will be subject to judgment. Goes on to speak about adultery and says, anyone who has looked upon a woman lustfully has committed that. So what did Jesus do? And this is setting the context for verses 13 through 16. It's a position of the heart. Many of us, sadly, even in our own strength, can give the appearance of righteousness. But what did Jesus do with the Pharisees, and what does he do with us? It goes to the heart. What do we read in Samuel? where David was anointed king of Israel, and all the boys of Jesse were par paraded in front of him. Is that him? No, he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but not. That's a loose translation, or no translation. He looks like such and such. And what does the Lord say to Samuel? Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. What we're dealing with today and relating to culture is a heart issue. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Love that imagery there. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How we deal with the culture that we are living in today is of vital, vital importance as believers. There are several positions that I'm going to show later that believers classically have looked at in relating to culture. So let's begin to unpack this text. First of all, the way of salt and light. First of all, the way of salt and light. Look at verses 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That makes sense. It is no longer good for anything. So you're not going to put lame salt on a dish that needs flavoring. If so, uh, somebody could rightly say there may be something a little off there. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is setting the case here. You build a town up on a hill, you're not going to be able to hide it. But what does he say? Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That makes absolutely no cognitive sense. Why would you light a lamp? Uh, we just had a power outage, uh, TVA, I don't know if you had one here, for about five minutes with the time change last night. Fans goes off, stove goes off, dogs go crazy. But why would you put a light and then just hide it? It's for a purpose, right? That's Jesus's point here. As we live out our commitment to Christ, it's not to be kept, what? Hidden. Salt. We all know what salt is. Some of us abuse it regularly. But salt, yeah. 
go to the, my diabetic endocrinologist tomorrow morning and I'm ready for my beating. Uh, I am ready to take my licks and you all can pray about that because I have, having this 44 years, I'm not looking forward to this visit. Uh, I'm going to be blasted and I'm ready walking in there with armor on. But salt, what does salt do? It not only preserves, but it gives flavor, right? Some of you, if I went to the local Mexican restaurant, the local uh, eatery, where all of you will probably be making a beeline after the service, and I watched your table habits, some lightly salt, okay, just need a little flavor, some, this is the blandest thing I've ever eaten, and you heap it on to excess. So what? It's preservation and flavor. So let's make the connection. How about our lives? Do we give flavor of the glory of God to our postmodern culture? Are we a source of not just preservation, but do we give flavor and bring honor to the Father in what? The way that we're living. Do we rail on culture that the only words out of our mouths are boo-hiss how bad it is? Do we daily scream what's wrong with culture? We are to bring, and this is what Jesus is talking about here, we are to bring flavor, saltiness to our culture. Now, how do you do that if, you're, if we're removed from the culture? You can't, right? That's what Jesus is talking about, that we've lost our saltiness. Christians should be what? Living in a worldly culture of which we live in with excellence to the glory of God. And I'm going to review this, this topic in a little bit, a little later. What does that mean? That means not that you have to be the best at everything. I stink at math. Maybe some of you all could identify. I don't do math well. Math and I are mortal enemies we've combated math one now i've won but i don't do math well but doing mathematics to the glory of god means that i do it with excellence to the best of my ability what does that mean for a student that means you study you take tests you interact well so that by the way you've engaged in that god's name is glorified it goes for pastors in the workplace that we're not just giving a haphazard effort but part of our saltiness is that we bring glory to God, a.k.a. 1 Corinthians 10.31, in everything that we do. Huh. What else do we see here? That means we're to be, to the glory of God, to the best of our abilities, the best researchers, the best poets, the best moms, the best dads, and the power of the Father, the best stockbrokers, uh, law enforcement agents, pastors, etc., we're to do it with excellence, not sloppily, not haphazardly. You know what brings Christians a bad name in a postmodern culture? That our work is haphazard. That our living is haphazard. That our living is what? Is mediocre. That doesn't bring God excellence at all. In fact, quite the opposite. So that's salt. What about light? What does light do? Light gives direction. As my house was pitch black dark last night, I took my 
cell phone and turn the light on because I had to get a little snack as diabetics often do in the middle of the night. So I'm shining the light around the house and like, wow. So that light, otherwise I would have bruised myself severely and fallen and been on crutches this morning. So what does light do? It gives direction. It gives focus. It illumines the dark. That's why Jesus' imagery here, who puts a light under a bowl or a bushel, makes absolutely no, no sense at all, no logical sense. But yet, that's where we are. That's where we often are. Yes, this does include sharing the gospel through word and action. There's two terms, spoken evangelism and disciple-making and lifestyle evangelism and disciple-making. And we need to be involved in both, right? What makes your pastor so sincere and so gracious is that he's what? As I've gotten to know him and seen his life, he's living out what he's verbally proclaimed to you all. And that's significant. That's significant. In a book years ago, The Next Generation Christians, which I would encourage all of you to read, one of the major beefs that today's 18 to 22-year-old generation has for flocking out the back door of the church, and it's epidemic across denominational lines, the major survey item was hypocrisy. Now, we might see that as a cop-out, but this Generation Z has got a huge point. Is there a consistency in the light we're shining for Christ in what we proclaim at fellowship, church, on Sunday, Wednesday, whenever, and then how we're living? Is there a consistency? Uh, if you want to find out about me, talk to two sets of people, primarily my wife, secondly, my students who see me every single day at Bryan College. And then you'll get a good indication, wow, there's Drew Randall. Hmm. So what if I were to talk to your spouse? You're like, don't do it. We'll throw you out of here. But talk to my spouse about the consistency or my best friend at school. So light. We can also see Jesus' cultural calling and that what? As Chris talked about earlier, what we celebrate this and thank you for sharing that. For what? We're looking also in Revelation. You read chapters 20 and further. We look forward to a day of what? No more tears. No more pain. No more crying. No more heartache. But that doesn't mean we withdraw and try to set that up now because we still are called to live in this world, right? So do we have a heavenly focus still acknowledging what? God's call on our lives to infuse this society with gospel. Our society, saltiness, light, should be what? Drawn to Jesus by His power and the Spirit. How? In how we're living. A joyous, a joyless believer is a contradiction in terms. Now, that's not a plastic face when you get to church that, oh, wow, I've had terrible medical results this past week, or I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z, but hey, hey, there's a reality. Joy is not based, and Christ is not based on circumstances. And some of you have walked and are walking through that. So is there a flavor? We should point people to what? Better 
culture, not counterculture, Christianity. Biblical Christianity is not counterculture, but it's better culture. Are our actions doing that? Are we showing others the light of Christ's work in us? Or are we blending in and ashamed and even name the name of Jesus? Jesus had some pointed words about that in the Gospels. Are we blending in with those around us at work or do people see a difference not because we're boycotting everything and i'm not going to speak to the legitimacy or not of that but because of how we're living with joy with honesty sitting in on bill's sunday school class this morning is are we restoring people gently do they see what a graciousness a winsomeness a godliness about us in christ and how we're living do our kids if we're parents do our children see that? Do our co-workers, do our classmates? Maybe you're not a chemistry fan. Do your fellow chemistry students see that? Does that make sense? That's important. So the way of salt and light. Salt and light. Secondly, the way of cultural light. So we not only have in this passage the way of salt and light, but the way of cultural light. Look at verses, in verses 17 and following, Jesus said what? that he did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. But to fulfill them. In calling the disciples and others to let their lights shine, Jesus was calling them to be what Israel was intended to be. A light by which the Lord would display his glory to the nations. And guess what joy we get to do as believers display through our lives through our verbiage through our actions the glory of christ to the nations well how ah by the power of the spirit in us let me ask you a quick question when tragedy hits your life and it has hit every one of us multiple times what do you do I spoke in chapel this past week at, uh, at Bryan College um, on Psalm 46.1 that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Where do we turn first? Friendships? Nothing wrong with those. Theological knowledge? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, exegetical superiority? Great. Where do we turn first? our refuge and strength in that passage. The idea is that trouble is constant. So what do we do? Are we seeing others pointed to Jesus by how we live? How we respond to crisis? How we respond to what? Um, Supreme Court rulings over the past two years that we never thought we'd see happen? Uh, watching a television episode, questionable behavior, whatever, social media ablaze, with rhetoric going back and forth with political parties? How do we respond to that? We're going to talk about that in a second. But we're to display Christ's glory to the nations in how we live. For those of us who are trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, this commandment is for us. No, we are not under law. Once again, going back to Bill's class, not to embarrass him, but incredible stuff this morning. We're not under law. 1 Corinthians 8 says, in a context of what? Meat sacrifice to idols? Paul's like, I'm not struggling with that. In essence, it's going to spoil, slap it on the grill, 
fry it up. Now, he didn't literally say that, so I'm taking a little bit of liberty with that. So, you know, don't throw anything yet. But he said, I'm not going to cause a brother and sister to stumble by my actions. It's repeated later in Galatians. What's our heart? We're not under law, but are our, li- our lives, testimony, and actions should point others to Christ as we live out in this culture. That means the freedom we have in Christ should never be used to crush a brother or sister in Christ. Well, I've got freedom this. Great. Does somebody have a conviction otherwise? Then avoid it like the plague. Does that make sense? That's important, and that's what we see here. Are we what? Living out, engaging in our vocational callings. Do we just see it as a J-O-B? Part of being salt in life is that we don't see our jobs as jobs. That's our calling, and that's what? If it's retirement, if it's as a student, if it's in your current vocational location, your job, that that's a calling and a venue that what? God is using to extend gospel where you are. Well, I hate my job. Don't. Might not be the best environment in the world, but that is where God has placed you to exercise your calling to what? Impact the world for Christ. I can't do what you do. It's easy to do what I do. I can't do what you do. I don't have that gift set, but God has gifted you. And you have a sphere of influence to live out what? Your salt and light calling. You realize that? That's important. Be it in a lawyer, uh, you work for TVA, shut off power at 1.30 in the morning, just kidding, or whatever. That is where he's called you to do. Moms and dads, your primary calling is to Christ. Your secondary calling is to your spouse. Third, to the kids. Can kids see your children see that coming out? That's important. So are we trying to live? And here's the second thing. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. A month ago now. We living our callings in Christ for our glory or for His. That's easy to fall into any, even in full-time ministry. Are we living out being salt and light for our glory or for his. And what, is, what does Jesus say in the Gospels? You, you'll get your reward. Read that in uh, Galatians 6 this morning. You'll get what you want, a pat on the back. But that's not being salt and life. If we're, if we're living out our Christianity for our glory, that's not salt and light. And people will see through that in a split second. We need to realize that. So, the way of salt and light, the way of cultural light, and then the way of choice. The way of choice. Look at verse 13 and 15 in this passage. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone. There are a couple of choices here. We can choose to what? Be salt and be light or not. Or not. And choose to blend into a society that desperately needs Jesus or try to run countercultural to what's happening in society. And calling the disciples to live in Christ and to extend salt and light, Jesus was calling them and expecting them to give flavor to a lost world. We expect light to shine and illumine. It's not the norm for those things to do 
what they've been called to do. You do not expect a lawnmower to water your garden. You do not expect a car to produce a latte. You would look and say, wow, you have been teaching too long and we need to check the water system at Dayton for what you're drinking. But here's the thing. You expect something the way it's designed to function in that design, right? As believers, Christ expects us to live out being salt and light. He makes it so obvious in this passage that when we don't, that doesn't make sense. So we expect that it's no difference for us as believers. We were created to live in and deal with culture. Jesus said to be what in another area in the Gospels? To be what? In the world, not of the world. We can't be in the world if we've withdrawn from the world. That runs counter. Paul was a tent maker, right? Supplemented that income with tent making. So how, if we've pulled back from society, can we be in it, not of it? That's important. No difference for us. This implies dealing with the world. Look at verse 16 again. We just looked at that. In the same way, Jesus gives a solution right here. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Live out your calling. Illumine. Give direction that they may see your good works. And people will say, what a great person you are. They may see your good works and say, you're great. You're awesome. Wow. No. They may see, and here's the ultimate reason. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Are we living lives that automatically bring glory to the Father? In our churches, in fellowship, church, in the churches around the area, in the Oak Ridge metropolitan area, is glory going to the Father or glory going to a congregation? And oftentimes God will put congregations in tests and trials. So what? When he moves... He gets the glory, right? He gets the glory, not us. He will put us in situations we have one or two options. Steal glory for ourselves, or you know what, Lord? If you don't move, I'm sunk. Question real quick. Are we that desperate for the Father to move in our lives? Are we that desperate? Psalm 46, Psalm of Asaph, came from what? Utter desperation needed God to move are we that way as we live in a perverse and crooked society that if it's going to happen if society is going to be changed in the name of Christ we've got to be on our knees because it's not about us that's what we see here no difference for us we're created to deal with culture are we blending in is there any difference in our lives the way of choice. We have to make a choice. Salt and light or unflavorness and darkness. So, lastly, I want to look at a few traditions, based upon this passage, some traditional views on Christ, of Christians. And see where you may line up in this paradigm of dealing with culture. One, isolation or avoidance. Many times Christians will engage in isolation or avoidance withdraw into our Christian circles and have nothing to do with culture. 
We've seen certain denominations, certain time periods where we're not going to be in culture. Let's withdraw, set up a camp here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And we've got to examine our own hearts. There are some things we don't need to be involved in, but we don't need to remove ourselves because we can't. We can't. Secondly, not only isolation or avoidance, but secondly, blanket acceptance. I have freedom in Christ, so what? I'm going to do whatever I want. Paul says in Romans, absolutely not. No way, no how. Without critique or cultivating what's good in culture. That it's, I've got freedom in Christ, I'm forgiven, I'm on the glory train. Hmm. That's faulty biblical exegesis. No. We don't blanketly accept culture. There are things in culture I, you, have no business engaging in as believers. Zip, not in. I'm not going to go into a litany of those things. But you know what those are. That I don't have any business being into it. Thirdly, evaluation and critique. So not only dealing with culture with isolation or avoidance or blanket acceptance. Thirdly, evaluation and critique. Let's cultivate, let's evaluate culture biblically. There are, let's, can I be honest? There's some good things in culture. There's some good things that we need to embrace. When God created the heavens and the earth, at the end he called it in the Hebrew, tov tov, which means really, really, really good. You don't go to Gulf Shores or Destin to look at the water of the beach. Oh, that's a pretty beach. That's really nice. You go to what? Get sunburn. You go to what? Get in the water. Take an inner tube. Swim around the jellyfish or whatever. Right? A child runs up to you if you're a grandparent or a parent. Hugs your neck and says, I love you. Hmm. Is that a good thing? You betcha. Soak it in. There are good things in culture. Why did God create the earth? and all that's in it, then call it Tov Tov. Then he said in Genesis 1, which is the cultural mandate, subdue it, reign over it. Two reasons, I believe. One, to display his glory. Secondly, for our, not abuse, but for our enjoyment. God is a good God. There are things that I enjoy. Mayfield, as a diabetic, Mayfield ice cream is a really, really, really good thing. I have to take a lot of insulin for it. That's not a satanic or bad thing. That is a good, good thing. When I can do it, an RC and a moon pie, good stuff. Why is it here? To enjoy it responsibly. So evaluation and critique, which we need to be about. Evaluate it biblically. Fourthly, an author named, which I would encourage you all to get this, especially those of you in high school, moving on into a college environment, you need to get this book. It's by an author named Andy Crouch. I would encourage everyone to read that. The, the entire, it came out a few years ago. The title is Culture Making. Highly recommend this author. He spoke, some of you may have read that, he spoke at Bryan a few times. Incredible author, had a chance to dialogue with him. Culture Making, Andy Crouch. Andy Crouch says, based upon Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, that there are two, because of the mandates that God gave Adam, a new paradigm. You need to examine this biblically, see if it plays out. That we're to be creators and cultivators of culture. Because what did he say? 
He said what? Reign in the world, subdue it, name the animals. So there's a creation of culture. He could have named the animals, but he didn't. The creation of culture and cultivating culture. We should be what? Creating better culture, not counterculture, not cloistering over here, but creating better culture in response to postmodernism. All for the glory of God. We are called to what? Cultivate what's good. We celebrate that. We celebrate what's good in culture, but be discerning. That's part of being salt and light in culture is discerning what's good, what's not. Avoid the not. Embrace what's good. Okay? That's what we've been called to do. But overarching all of this discussion on culture as we live in Christ, I've referred to as 1 Corinthians 10.31. It needs to be up on your fridges. That needs to be a passage that we see as a life verse. So whatever you do, Paul's very explicit to the church at Corinth, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, a.k.a. by implication, as you live life, do all to the glory of God. Every interaction, this is going to stink, y'all, if you've got tests tomorrow. Every test, every paper, every interaction with a co-worker, every dealing that you have here at Fellowship, every praise song. Thank you, worship team. Really appreciate your, your work. Wow, we were ushered into his presence. Everything, everything. Do it all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Abba, thanks for your word. Thanks for your truth. I pray today that you would help us by your spirit to interact well with a postmodern culture. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you, King Jesus, as Lord and Savior. Would you draw them to salvation today? I also pray for believers in this room that are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. Would you, you're the great physician, would you touch lives? Would you bring the power through your spirit of conviction where sin needs to be confessed and repented of? Father, help us by your power to live lives that are winsome and that others would be drawn to you, King Jesus. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.